Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Our partner's spinal cord injuries are what brought us together, and our common bond as caregivers to quadriplegics helped us to create the advocacy group Wags of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle, and our mission is to spread awareness and positivity from our unique perspectives. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around being a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SEI podcast. Here we go. The episode you're about to enjoy is brought to you by Anchor Medical Supplies. This company is very special to us as it is owned and operated by a quadriplegic. His name is Paul and his Wag of SEI, Jessica. They have been married for 22 years and they strive to provide the best service in the industry for catheters and ostomy products. Anchor Medical Supplies is based in Georgia, but work with nationwide Medicare, Medicaid, and many private insurance companies, including Blue Cross and TRICARE. They work with your doctor's office to get prescriptions organized and they bill insurance directly. They ship discreetly to your door without any hassles. They are passionate about advocating for those with disabilities. And most of their staff are individuals that have been affected by paralysis themselves. Their personalized services include monthly check-ins, expert advice, and customized products. This makes them a company we can really rely on and trust. They know the SCI life, and they understand how important peer support can be. If you aren't sure you want to change providers, subscribe to their monthly newsletter. Jessica curates the latest SEI news, new products, and advice so you can stay informed and connected. Just go to their website, anchormedsupplies.com, and fill out the easy form. Give Jessica and Paul a call today at 1-833-667-8669, or you can visit their website at anchormedsupplies.com and tell them the Wags of SEI sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast. It's Brooke and Elena. Uh, we have an amazing guest for you today. We're very, very excited. So Fatima Fakuri is a proud quad wife, mom of two, and registered dietitian from New York. She provides nutritional counseling and medical nutrition therapy to people of all abilities facing a wide range of health challenges. She holds a master's degree in clinical nutrition from New York University and is certified and licensed to practice in the U.S. Fatima is also the founder of the SCI Nutritionist, a virtual nutrition counseling practice, specifically focusing on working with people living with spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for joining us, Fatima. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. We're very excited because I would say the number one question besides sex that we get is, how do I feed myself after a spinal cord injury? Or how do I help my partner to lose weight after a spinal cord injury? Or how do I stay healthy about in surrounding nutrition? So when we found you on Instagram, we were so excited because we were like, finally, someone who specializes in this, there's nobody else that we can find that actually specializes in this that is licensed. I appreciate it so much. And I have been so lucky to find WAGS because that's actually how I sort of um, got the courage to actually start this. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. That's very cool. So you practice out of New York. Would you yes, want to get into your story? How did you s start doing what you're doing today? 
Yeah. So actually, nutrition is my second career. Um, I worked in publishing right out of college for about six years. I was a children's book editor. And um, I thought that was my dream job. But after a couple of years, I was totally burnt out. It was a very competitive, rigid corporate lifestyle. And it just really was not the right fit for me. And around that time, I had really gotten into yoga and nutrition was kind of becoming a hot topic. This was around like 2008, 2009. And I remember randomly seeing a book in a bookstore and it was called Superfoods or something like that. And I had never uh, heard that before. And it had this really gorgeous, colorful cover. And I was so drawn to it. And it was actually the first time that I learned anything about nutritional science other than calories. There were all these interesting things in that book, uh, stuff that I had never been aware of before. And so anyway, it got me really into cooking my own food and the whole concept that nutrition was really important for our overall health. So I ditched my corporate career and I went back to school full time and I eventually, yeah, yeah. You know, I felt I was very scared. I had a bunch of, uh, you know, younger kids in school with me doing organic chemistry and it was, it was tough, but I did eventually get my master's degree in clinical nutrition. And in the middle of all that, I met my husband, Ray. Um, he is a quad. He's living with a C6, C7 spinal cord injury from a car accident. And um, it was about 10 years after his accident that I met him. And um, it wasn't really great timing. You know, I was really immersed in school, but I was also 30 years old and I was starting of thinking of maybe leaving the city. And then I met my husband. And I thought, hmm. Maybe I could marry this guy. You know? oh. <laughs> so I don't know. It's all kind of a blur. We um, we got married about a year after we met, and I moved up here to the Hudson Valley where we are now. And um, let's see. So after my master's, I completed a dietetic internship, which is a requirement. It's basically a year where you work full time, unpaid, mm. <laughs> in different healthcare settings, and you get on the job training. So, and then you take your registration exam. So it took me about four years from start to finish, but I became a registered dietitian and um, I started working in a local hospital and truth be told, I, I really didn't like it, but it was a good experience. You know, I saw a lot of different things and um, we had our son in 2016 and I quickly quit working in the hospital and um, I was just focused on our family and we had our daughter uh, about two years after that. So the past few years for me have really been about family. Um, right now, I have a private practice here in New York where I see clients for nutrition counseling, lots of kids and moms, and that's my main gig. But last year, after finding WAGS, which was sort of, I mean, it, it's tr it changed the trajectory of my career, actually. Um, I launched the SCI Nutritionist on Instagram, and I had come to realize over the years that there was no nutrition professional, like you said, um, and even on social media, speaking directly to people living with spinal cord injury. Um, no doctor, I don't know about you guys, but no doctor ever addressed healthy eating with us, mm -hmm. except to say, you know, try not to gain too much weight. And I mean, is that really helpful? <laughs> no. So I kind of had the idea in the back of my head for a while, like, wow, I should do something with nutrition and SCI, but I didn't really know what that would look like. Um, and then last fall, my husband had shown me a few SCI support groups on Facebook, particularly one that was about weight loss. And to be honest, the posts were really kind of alarming and they were all over the place. It was, it was overwhelming to me um, as a professional. 
seeing how many people wanted help with nutrition and there was no professional giving them answers. And I saw there was a real need for information. And, um, you know, because people were posting about how they tried these different diets and they were struggling and then they were giving each other advice. And I thought, wow, you know, this is crazy and kind of dangerous. Mm. And then I thought, you know, maybe I could be a resource for them. So the SCI nutritionist kind of came about that way. I wanted to fill this gap in information, particularly on social media, where I feel like so many people are talking about health and nutrition, but not specifically for SCI. And, you know, I was mostly inspired by my husband because without him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a vested interest in this community, just like you guys. Mm -hmm. And then when I found WAGS, I felt so, so seen, you know, (laughs) since I didn't really know anyone else uh, living with a spinal cord injury. So I kind of, um, I took that and I ran with it. And I, I started the Instagram page and uh, I started posting nutrition info and recipes. And then I started doing one-on-one nutrition coaching. So my next thing is I'm going to start an SCI weight management group, which I'm going to be leading, but I'm going to have members of the group be a support for one another and one another and motivate each other. I I, I think it's going to be great, you know, more collaborative than what I'm doing right now. So that's basically, yeah, so that's basically what the SCI nutritionist is about. I'm here to provide evidence-based nutrition information and, and give guidance to people in the SCI community. I'm, I'm really passionate about it. That is just so needed in our community. Like there's, yeah, the internet is a, is a crazy place. It's a scary place with a lot of information, (laughs) a lot of misinformation and basically nothing that is factual a lot of claims making and i like that piece that you brought in there about evidence-based nutrition yes because you are you know you you are um, a registered nutritionist but you have a huge background behind you it's not just uh, a quick twenty dollar health coach oh yeah right and uh, that can be very very dangerous for people especially it can be yeah because especially with spinal cord injury like I think we all know that things can go left really quickly, right? So even something like a diet, if you're following advice from somebody on the internet who doesn't know anything about spinal cord injury, you know, it can be really dangerous. Yeah. And even, you know, when my husband first got injured, I used to do a lot of like Googling, you know, spinal cord injury calories per day, because my Mm. husband was very interested in nutrition before his accident. And then as soon as he had his accident, he noticed that his body systems were so different, right? His body was behaving so differently. But he also, it also hit him harder when he had those, quote, cheat days. And like, you know, maybe he drank too much, his body just processed it so differently after spinal cord injury than before. And that's, you know, that's, that's why us personally, we kind of started, okay, well, we need to approach things a little bit differently. And it was like years of trial and error, like, what can he eat? What, you know, how close to bedtime can he eat? Um, How much does he eat? You know, should he intermittent fast and experimenting with so many different things and not really having any clear answers but also in our community it's like it's so important what goes in your body like not just for for the spinal cord injured patient but the caregivers like good nutrition for both of you or else you're gonna burn out feel tired get sick and not be able to be a good caregiver or a wife or girlfriend but your partner is going to get skin issues you know bowel issues bladder issues It, it affects it affects everything Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think another piece to add in there is uh, how horrifying the nutrition programs are within the hospital and rehabilitation 
Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, we always uh, we always say, you know, I remember when my partner was, um, you know, he's trying to stabilize himself or they're trying to stabilize him and he's, uh, you know, pass a swallow test. I don't know if you remember uh, that. Basically, you want you want to make sure that you are strong enough to be able to have a swallow in the first place so you don't choke on your food. So what they had him do was... um, they they pureed all his food and some of the things that they were pureeing were things like pancakes uh, mm-hmm. like it's hospital food you know it's, it's uh it's that, and I, yeah and i will say that's part of why i don't like working in hospitals i think that it's just it doesn't work for me you know of course there is an important very important role for dietitians in the hospital but i really it it, it wasn't right for me especially with the food programs now it seems to be getting better in some places, but yeah, you know, um, all of the, all the food is, is really not as good as stuff that we would be able to make at home. So no, absolutely. And you know, what we ended up doing was getting like a Nutribullet and, and making our own smoothies within his room because there were days that he was like, I cannot eat this green mush. Like mm-hmm. this is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's so cooked over that the nutrients are all gone. So you're literally right. just eating mushy green beans that look like diarrhea on your plate like come on (laughs) and everything is just so highly processed i like i i started actually worked with um the hospital dietitian when my husband was in icu because what happened to him was my husband's very sensitive to food additives and he was always sensitive before even before he got his he had his spinal cord injury and when he was in the hospital um, the, the program that he was put on as far as tube feed, because he could not eat because he had, you know, the, the tubes down his throat, um, and he needed to be fed, but all they had was just crap. Like it was literally pure sugar, um, that they were using for, for tube feed. And so I remember walking into the ICU one day and he had a bag above his head on one of his IV, um, holders or whatever that's called and it said insulin and so I looked at the I looked at the nurse and I was like what is this and she was like oh he's on insulin it's very common in ICU to be put on insulin because of blood sugar issues and a lot of people in ICU start to become pre-diabetic it's very very common I wouldn't worry about it and so I was like I need to speak to someone immediately right so I arranged an appointment with the dietitian and she brought this little book and she said Here's some of the options that he can go on. You may find a, you know, a, a different brand or something better that he's not allergic to. Um, and I looked at them and I was just like, I was shocked. I was like, all of these are just so processed, high sugar. No wonder people are going on insulin at the ICU. So you're talking about the the tube feeding. Yes, like tube feeding. Yeah. So where, yeah, where it's I mean, like life or death, right? Right. Of course. And and there is, you know. There is only so much you can do in terms of the tube feeding. And I think that when you have trauma, your whole body Mm -hmm. is freaking out, right? So you may have crazy insulin levels and you may have um, crazy high blood sugar and you don't really know what's going on. Your body is in crisis. So I I totally get what you mean. Like at that time, it was just like, great, this is all we need. But like you said, it it is life and death. And so... For me, I felt like, so there was for you a dietitian there Mm -hmm. because that was the ICU dietitian, right? I feel like after that though, what are we doing? 
right? I mean, yeah. the, is the doctor telling you what you're supposed no. to be eating? No. And, um, you know, unlike you guys, I am a post injury wag. So I don't have the experience of going to the rehab or any of that. And when I asked my husband, he was like, yeah, I don't remember. I don't really remember seeing a dietitian. No. And really, so babe. maybe he did. Yeah, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But that's why I feel like the SEI nutritionist is a good opportunity to kind of talk about nutrition when you're out of that acute stage, right? So like sure. nutrition, I always say nutrition for people living with spinal cord injury, because it's like, this is our new lifestyle. This is our new normal. And, and how are we going to eat? You know, how are we going to nourish our bodies? Mm -hmm. totally. Absolutely. And, and there are so many questions that we got from our following that you're going to be able to answer for us later on in the Yay. podcast. I, I'm excited. And, yeah. And you're totally right. It's about having um, some sort of stability and a good process and a routine within your daily living and getting the nutrition that your body needs and the nutrients your body needs after you're already paralyzed for both the caregiver and for the individual. Yeah. And in our community, it's important um, because there are a lot of women who are in charge of their partner's food um, intake. Um, there's a lot of high level quads out there who cannot prepare their own food or are not independent in the kitchen. And so you have all these women who need to know this kind of stuff because they're not only preparing food for themselves, they're preparing food for their partners. And they're so interested in all of this because they're like, how can I make my help my partner to be his best self from the inside out? And so that's why it's it's this podcast is so important for our community in that sense so kind of going off of that can you explain to us why food is so so important after SCI so like you guys had said right we are what we eat right everything that we go that everything that goes into our body is going to kind of uh, affect everything about us so when people ask me like you know what's your what's your philosophy what's your nutrition philosophy I say it's really simple. I always say to aspire for wellness, not perfection, right? There's no such thing as a perfect diet. It just does not exist. But there's definitely healthy choices that we can make on a daily basis. And there's foods that we should kind of only indulge in on an occasional basis. So whether it's SCI or, you know, able-bodied people, I don't believe in restriction. I never tell people that they shouldn't or they can't eat the foods that they love. I don't feel like that's a good way to live. And especially with spinal cord injury, so many things have been affected in your life. The last thing I'm going to say is don't eat what you like. Um, food is a huge source of pleasure for a lot of people. It connects us with our family and our culture. And it's not something that we should be stressing about. So with SCI, I feel like the biggest concern that I hear is what diet should I be on and diet in terms of like, how do I lose weight? Um, and I feel like diets are really stressful, right? They have all these rules. They make us feel deprived and, and they can even make us feel depressed, right? And like left out. Right. Especially when people around us. When you right. Especially when, <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I'm on a diet. I'm not eating bread today. Like that sounds fun, you know? And then so. tomorrow, tomorrow you go to your favorite baked goods place and eat the whole loaf. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly, you know, and the research actually proves what you just said. You know, the research says that restrictive diets don't work in the long term. Um, I read one that said that after a five year period, and this was a huge study, um, they said most people will gain the weight back or even they'll gain more than they lost to begin with. Yeah. So for spinal cord injury, that, that type of weight cycling, gaining and then losing large amounts of weight. 
that's a really stressful thing for the body. So again, you know, I don't believe in diets. I'm an anti-diet dietitian. Mm -hmm. And I think, like you said, in general, if you work really hard to restrict something, like say desserts, right? Eventually you're not going to be able to restrict yourself anymore and you're going to binge on sweets. And then what's going to happen? You won't feel good because you just stuffed yourself with like a hundred grams of sugar at once. And you're going to feel guilty because you know, that wasn't a good choice. So I like to focus on choices and, um, work on people's work with people's preferences. So I feel like it can get obsessive to count calories and things like that. So I focus on choices, you know, let me worry about, uh, the calories, right. When we're doing uh, diet plans and stuff and you focus on your choices. I teach people how to create balanced meals and snacks, how to carefully read food labels. That is huge. I feel like most of my clients don't really read um, the back of the package. They're really only reading the front. Um, And so they don't really know what they're getting. So I feel like if you bring good food into your home, that's what's going to be available to you. And if you bring a lot of like the high calorie, high fat processed stuff home, well, then that's what you're going to have available. So you know, I say plan for success, make your grocery lists, have a general idea of what you're going to do with those groceries. And then you do have to put forth the effort to meal prep and cook. So going back to um, why is diet so important for SEI, I feel like aside from, you know, getting adequate nourishment from real foods and maintaining a healthy weight, we want to avoid future health complications, right? Like the last thing we need is another medical situation, right? So if you're eating well, you're hopefully going to avoid some of the nutrition and weight related diseases that can come up over time. Um, I read the other day, people living with SCI have like an almost three times higher risk of developing type two diabetes Mm -hmm. than, um, than the general population. So when I read that, I was like, wow, that's like, 100% preventable and diet related. Um, And, you know, genetics does play a role, but two to three times more likely to have diabetes, (laughs) you know, that's definitely related to eating habits and weight status. So I think using nutrition to prevent future complications is huge for people with SCI. And um, I think also using your diet to try and get relief from certain things or improve uh, conditions like chronic constipation, I hear a lot of course, neurogenic bowel. Um, I talk about a lot of anti-inflammatory foods with my clients. I feel like that's a huge issue with SCI, um, especially if you have chronic pain with that. Edema, swelling, skin integrity, um, maintaining muscle mass, all of these are things um, that people with SCI deal with and that I'm hoping that they're going to address with proper nutrition. Amazing. And And like, I always like to think of that analogy of like, you don't want to put diesel in a gas car it'll just explode and break down it's the same thing with your body it's so simple but it's so true like you want right. to you want to be aware of what you're putting in your body it's it's your engine right it's going to keep yeah. you going <laughs> we wanted to um get to some questions from our followers um, because they had a lot of questions so we're going to answer a few that are the top questions that we get on our direct message and on our email So the first question is, are there certain foods or drinks that can cause or prevent UTIs? 
All right. So that is probably other than weight, one of the most popular questions that I get on Instagram. And it's obvious because, you know, lots of people living with SCI deal with frequent, almost nonstop UTI. So valid question. Now for the first part, no, foods don't cause UTI. Bacteria does. But there are some people who say that certain foods cause UTIs because they cause bladder irritation, but that's not the same. So I have someone who swears that every time they eat citrus, it gives them a UTI. And that's not really, it's not really based in science. So like I always say, evidence-based, right? I can only go by that. Now, in terms of prevention, there is some evidence that cranberries and blueberries can be beneficial in possibly reducing the frequency of UTI. And that's because, um, it's really fascinating, actually, they have these compounds in them that prevent the bacteria from sticking to the walls of the bladder. And that's what eventually causes infection. So it's not rock solid research, but mm-hmm. it could be helpful. Um, I would recommend anyone who wants to try this to go for 100% pure cranberry juice instead of the um, the supplement pills and try to avoid those mixed cranberry cocktails that are mostly apple juice and grape juice and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the 100% cranberry juice is going to be your best bet. And I, I would say like, that's something that you would need to do every day. And again, it's, it's, it's just prevention. Maybe it's not, um, it's not going to stop them. And, um, well, speaking of UTIs too, we all know that when our partner has a UTI, they go on antibiotics. And, um, to this day, no doctor has ever told us to eat foods that have probiotics in them or to take a probiotic, uh, supplement. And it really, It boggles my mind, to be honest, because (laughs) you're taking antibiotics. I mean, my husband has been on like the IV antibiotics. They're like really strong. So I can't imagine why they don't talk about this, but this is what I'm here for, right? You made some really good points there about please, please, please do not go into the store and get cranberry cocktail juice. Oh, yeah. Sugar, that is pure sugar, and it will just feed the UTI. It'll feed the bacteria. You will feel worse. You will not feel better. And then you will definitely need antibiotics. And also, I feel like it gives you false hope, right? Because you think like, oh, I feel like something's coming. I better go get this juice. And then you're drinking like Mm -hmm. 80% apple juice and thinking, hey, this is going to work. And, you know, that's that can be disappointing. But um, but going back to the to the antibiotic thing, um, probiotic rich foods, I really recommend eating foods with probiotics. Um, as opposed to taking the pills, because I always say food over supplements. I just feel like it's a better way to get uh, to get your nutrients. So probiotic rich foods. So yogurt, kefir, which is a, a fermented uh, milk drink, sauerkraut, tempeh, which is made from soybeans. It's also fermented kimchi, which is fermented cabbage, Miso. I know everybody knows miso soup. It's the it's the Japanese. It's like a seasoning paste. Kombucha, which is the tea. Um, all of these are great to eat um, regularly, and especially while you're on antibiotics. And for the maybe week or two after you're done with the meds, because they are going to help you rebuild your gut flora, which is really quite compromised when you take uh, strong antibiotics. I have a question for you, actually. Um, going back mm-hmm. to the kombucha. I know that mm-hmm. kombucha can have quite a bit of sugar in it. What would you say about that? So again, so now this goes back to reading your food labels. That's like the number one thing that I feel like a lot of people are missing, especially when they feel like they're 
they're making healthy choices, but they're actually not because they're not reading the right part of the package. So I say the front of the package is it's the beautiful part, right? It's the part that's, that's all colorful and gives you all the promises in the world, but it's all marketing information. The stuff on the back, the ingredients and the nutrition label, that's all I really need to see. So yes, you are right because kombucha, the ones that are, um, you know, in most stores, they have to be palatable, right? They have to taste good. So they, do add a lot of sugar to some of them, but there are better brands. We don't really drink it. So I I don't know any brands, but I would encourage you that if you want to uh, get some probiotics from a kombucha, just turn it around and see how much added sugar there is. I know that there are definitely some better brands out there. Yeah, you'll see ones on the shelves that are like 12 grams of sugar per bottle. And those ones are the ones that, oh, they've added sugar on top of the sugar that is naturally needed for a kombucha culture to ferment. Right. So, yeah, and I bring that up actually because this this happened to me (laughs) the other day. I was at Whole Foods and I bought some kombucha and then I came home and I'm like, kind of chugging this stuff back over a couple of days I got like the big one liter bottle and all of a sudden I'm like how good is this really for me like my feet my you know when your right. teeth feel fuzzy because mm-hmm. you've had sugar and you're yeah. like oh god they <laughs> have much. sweaters on now I gotta go get rid of this yeah so I turned around and it was like explosive amount of sugar I had right. to to check myself there so I was like oh my god no I have to dump this now I know it's fun to make your own kombucha I know Elena and I have both done that it's it's time consuming but it's fun because you know what's going into it and you have the cultures in front of you yeah yeah it's like a science experiment yeah it totally is and we actually joke about this because when Dan first was um out of rehab I had a kombucha craze I had like (laughs) 20 scobies living on my counter and I was going crazy with flavor testing and doing the black tea the green tea the everything tea and finally Dan was like I don't know what you're doing here but you cannot have like 30 different kombuchas going. (laughs) Elena the mad scientist dealing with spinal cord injury and deferring your emotions yeah. into kombucha <laughs> it was a coping mechanism yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah i guess it could be worse right right <laughs> right exactly so i guess moving on so our next question for you fatima is what are your thoughts on too much fiber causing bowel accidents Okay, so this is something that really is going to vary from person to person dietary fiber doesn't actually cause everyone to go more frequently. Some people actually can get constipated, right, from too much fiber. However, see, when I recommend high fiber diets, I'm never talking about taking that psyllium husk or metamucil or fiber pills. I'm talking about colorful, lively fruits and vegetables, whole grains. Um, And if you're not eating enough fiber, you probably will have more bowel accidents because there's nothing that's adding bulk to your stool. So. I would say high fat, high sugar meals, and this is um, coming from my clients too, that is far more likely to result in a bowel accident than a high fiber meal. Um, Some people say fried foods, spicy foods are also a problem for them. But again, if you're eating fiber from real foods, it shouldn't be an issue. And if you can get your fluid and fiber ratio right, it's going to really help you maintain healthy bowels. So what does that ratio look like? So I think, again, it's going to vary and it's and it's going to depend on, you know, how much fiber are you eating? Are, are you eating like 20 grams, 30 grams? Um, and how much fluid are you getting? So 
people with spinal cord injuries do have an increased need for fluid. Um, I can like basically calculate these things based on height and weight, but I would say like at least two liters for my husband, he's probably like six feet and 180 pounds. And I try to make sure he gets at least two, um, two liters of fluid in a day. And he does eat a high fiber, uh, diet and, you know, everyone's different. I think that if you have, um, frequent UTIs and things like that, extra fluid is, is never really going to be a bad thing. So I would encourage people to just kind of be aware, you know, um, of how much fluid that they're drinking from, from water, not, not from other stuff. Right. And that's a very good point that even if you're eating your veggies and fruits, you still need to drink that water because that doesn't really count. It's not accounting for that. And I think there's a huge misconception that if you drink, like, let's say two liters of water that you're going to have to do an ICP more often, or you're going to have to urinate more often. And uh, when you have UTIs, that's actually a good idea because you're trying to flush out that bacteria. So it's not a bad thing to drink lots of water. No, it might be inconvenient, you know, um, I, I get it. It might be inconvenient, but it's, I feel like it's, it's a necessary thing. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, it's so, it's so interesting because our household and I know Elaine and I talk about this a lot, like when my husband doesn't have his like enough leafy greens in his smoothie Mm -hmm. in his salad and his veggies, he really notices that his bowels literally the next day are not the same as they were before and he keep kind of keeps track of his overall diet health by how his bowels are like he yeah it's a great indicator yeah exactly exactly for anybody it's a good indicator of how you're doing in terms of your your diet I have like a side question for you and I don't maybe just your opinion on the situation I know a lot of our followers partners takes senicides and and uh, different bullet pills to help them go to the bathroom in the morning and they take it like the night before i know that's very very common what are your thoughts on if you really fine-tune your diet and have your diet like exactly perfect for you with enough fiber enough water is it possible Mm -hmm. to get off those um stool softeners and laxatives yeah. So I think it, it depends on your level, right? Mm-hmm. I think some people it's just going to be impossible to go no matter how healthy of, uh, of a diet that you're on. I think that, um, you could try, right. I mean, we don't use any of that stuff in my house, I, but, <laughs> but that's just us, you know, um, yeah. we, um, I think that if you're taking something like Senna, that's totally natural and and not harmful, there's nothing wrong with it. But you know, I think that people kind of get used to that and they think that they need it. And you might not, you know, Um, you you might try something else. I think with chronic spinal cord injury, I speak to people who are like, well, I've been doing the same thing for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, maybe you should try something else, you know, just Mm -hmm. to see. Mm -hmm. Time to switch it up. And that's actually, yeah, we get stuck. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good question, actually, Brooke, because like you said, there are so many people in our community that do utilize those. Let's put this episode on a momentary pause because we want to introduce all of you to another one of our amazing sponsors, Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, B.C., They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases and work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than most firms. 
You're not just a case. You're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. Robin and her team are always looking for ways that they can help rebuild the best life possible for their clients by finding them the support they need for the recovery. This includes assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and of course, making sure that their clients are doing A-OK physically and mentally. Wishart Brain and Spine Law is proud to support Wags of SCI. Robin is committing to helping clients enter their family any way she can because she wants you to live a life and not a claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure you mention that the Wags of SCI sent you. Okay, let's move on to the next question. So... Is it possible? Oh my gosh, this question. We literally get this question every second day. And we talk about it all the time. (laughs) Is it possible to lose the para or quad belly through a proper diet? All right. Well, now don't get mad because the answer is yes and no. So if you have excess fat, I know people are going to be like, ah. So if you have excess fat around your middle section, then yes, losing weight through proper diet is possible. But if you're like a lot of people with SCI who are actually at a pretty, pretty healthy body weight, your quad belly is going to be greatly reduced when you stand. So whether you're in a standing frame or you're in a a standing wheelchair, in those cases, it's not going to really be possible to you to lose it because it's fluid accumulation. So if we think about it, people in wheelchairs, they're in a sitting position. Their bodies are bent at a 90 90 degree angle for like, what, 12, 16 hours a day. And the fluid is collecting in your midsection. So there's actually people who specialize in lymphatic drainage who can help with moving the the fluid around your body. But you're not going to lose physical fluidic accumulation through diet. There's... um, there's things like Lasix that people take for bloating and stuff, but you know, I think those come with their own complications. I think you could try to reduce your sodium intake and see how it goes. It could help with bloating, but, um, it, and it, and it's complicated, you know, people with SCI, a lot of them have low blood pressure, my husband included. So I don't really recommend low sodium diets. Their, their, their pressure is already low. Yeah. Um, so I, That's I, really I personally, Yeah. So I personally, (laughs) unpopular opinion, I think we need to normalize quad belly. (laughs) Hashtag normalize quad belly. Yes. And just kind of move on with our lives, you know, work on something else. Uh, I think that body image is a huge thing that we, you know, I, I, I always end up getting into it with my clients. Like my husband was 24 years old. He was like a athlete and then he had his accident. So what does that do to your ego? Right. And then 15, 17 years later, you have this belly and it's like, well, uh, you know, you survived, you made it. It's not the worst thing. Now I understand people want to lose it. So if you eat healthy, then you're not going to have the, the abdominal fat, but you will still have the fluid accumulation. So, you know, I always tell people, get in the standing frame, move your body around, don't be sitting in the chair all day long and let the fluid move around because if you don't, you know, it's just going to collect in your midsection. Right, very good points there. And also, I just want to add that when you have a spinal cord injury and you're quadriplegic and you're paralyzed from the nipples down or even higher up, the muscles are not contracted either. So oh, you yes. actually lose of course. Them 
the muscle formation and it turns more into like a pooch or a belly, right? Because you're unable to contract those muscles. So you're not going to be able to do things like crunches or or things to strengthen that. So that's also something. Very, very good point. Yes. The muscles, of course. I also wanted to bring up something. I have this like personal theory about stress and cortisol and quad belly because I've Ooh. seen my husband like he he you know when you're under chronic stress and you're dealing with insurance and you're running all over the place and you have a stressful let's say you have a stressful job and you're also a quad I I noticed that directly when you're under less stress and I've seen it with my husband, his belly slightly decreases. Like we went to, yeah, we went to Italy last year two two years ago, almost. And I remember when he was there for like two weeks, he was having, you know, pasta almost every day, wine every day. (laughs) And we were measuring his belly and it would go down and down and down and down. And by the end of our trip, it was like, he lost the most of his belly and right. I mean, happiness and pleasure is a hell of a drug, right? Yeah. So, so sometimes yeah. I like to say to people that ask me that question, I'm like, how stressed are you in daily life? Like how, and even just having the spinal cord injury itself is stressful in the body, right? You're always constantly yes. fighting, right? Yes. Fighting and, for and, something. And I can, yeah. And I can, I can speak to this a little too. Like stress is going to increase your cortisol levels. Right. And what that does is stimulate your insulin response. And that's going to cause cravings. Um, not in the case of your husband, but I'm saying for most people, when you're under stress, like what about the, the wags, right? Yeah. Um, when we're under stress, especially if you're really just kind of struggling in the beginning and all of that, stress is going to increase your cortisol levels. Your insulin is going to go up. You're going to start craving sweets and high fat, salty foods. Your appetite could increase. And, you know, in times of stress, when we're releasing this, this stress hormone, it's no wonder that uh, I hear from a lot of wags that they gain weight after, after their, their partner's accident. Um, sometimes even if they're not eating much. So I would say for that, for that, I would say, you know, focus on self-care instead of weight loss, eat foods that are healthy that you enjoy and try and manage that stress, find some sort of movement that feels good and, you know, give yourself credit for, for making it through. Um, a lot of us go through really hard times and even for post-injury wags, like, you know, sometimes some days aren't that easy and, and we make it through, you know, um, I tell a lot of women, don't worry about losing the weight, you know, focus on healthy habits and adjusting to the new lifestyle. And, and the weight is, is not a priority in, in those times. I'm really glad that you brought that up because that was actually one of our questions. So I guess we can talk about that now. It's great. Um, Elena and I both, we always kind of joke about it and we give ourselves a less of a hard time now. But like we both have gained at least 20 pounds each since our partner's mm-hmm. accident. At least. At least. <laughs> and, and that's not just due to stress. That's from, you know, putting our partner's needs before our own needs. And, you know, years yes. later, we're finally both getting to the place where it's like, okay, it's our time now. We're going to put ourselves first and figure figure out what works for us and try and get back to how good we felt before and just kind of like cherish our bodies a little bit more. And because we've seen what happens when stress and those kind of things take over, it it ravages your body. And I'm sure a lot of women out there listening feel the same. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, when, and now this is, of course, this is wags, right? So um, we are, we are the caregivers, we are the partners. And when I work with, sometimes I work with couples, right? So it's not just the person with the spinal cord injury, but it's their partner. And I always tell the wife, like, you cannot give from an empty vessel. 
So if we don't properly fuel ourselves, how are we going to possibly take good care of our partners? And, and if we have them children, you know, um, this reminds me like, you know, when you're on the airplane, they say, put on your own mask (laughs) before helping others. So I feel like it's the same thing. Um, same thing here, same thing with eating well, um, living life alongside someone with SCI is stressful and maybe not every day, but it's definitely not an easy lifestyle. So we need to make sure that we're in good health and, and not just getting by. So my main advice for caregivers is to eat regular meals, do some meal prepping. I know that it's work, but some days are going to be too hectic for cooking. Some days you're going to be too tired. So having things ready is a huge relief. Like when I come home from work and we have leftovers, I literally have a sigh of relief. Absolutely. <laughs> and I... Yeah, you know, it's one less thing to do. And I do rely on my pantry and freezer a lot. Um, I, I do not cook full meals from scratch every day. But I'll tell you this, we eat pretty good, you know, and, and it's I make sure that I have things on hand that I can put together to create good meals and snacks. Um, I also batch cook a lot. So I'm not even talking double. I'm saying tripling recipes because I don't want to put forth so much effort and just have enough food for one meal. That's like, that's crazy to me. So I noticed that also when I skip meals and I think a lot of, a lot of people feel this way, I'm in a terrible mood. I mean, I get headaches. I need to eat or else I just have hangry. Yeah. I mean, and I will, I feel like I'm going to faint. So that's the last thing we want, right? We need to be strong. We need to be healthy. We need three meals a day at least, and, and two snacks, right? So I focus on protein and carbs for snacks. So, you know, a Greek yogurt with some granola, an apple with some peanut butter or a cheese stick. Those are my go-tos. Um, and I'm not much of a baker, but when I get in the mood, I'll make a couple of, um, a couple, uh, pans of the, uh, the protein muffins or something with like whole wheat flour, eggs, berries, stuff like that. And I can just pop one out of the freezer and heat it up. And it makes me so happy, (laughs) you know, to have something good that I don't feel guilty about. Right. Talk about Mm. self-care. That's such a big buzzword these days. I feel like you, you guys are are such great proponents of self-care and you're always showing us, you know, how you're taking time for yourself. And and that's something that I really, uh, I really need to start doing more. And right now for me, it's, it's not about going to the spa or getting a manicure. It's about taking care of my body. So eating well, finding some joyful movement, that's how, that's how I'm accomplishing self-care these days. I think that if we're eating healthy foods, we're going to feel good and we'll be able to be um, more productive and clear headed. And um, when I don't take care of myself, my immune system shuts down. And you know what kind of chaos <laughs> ensues in my household when I'm sick? It's it's like a it's like a disaster over here. The mothership has gone down, right? So, yes. <laughs> so right, so exactly. So exactly. So managing your diet, resting when you need to. I know it's hard, but shut off the TV, go to bed an hour earlier. You know, keeping your stress and anxiety in check. These are huge forms of self care for wags and. You know, I won't turn down a spa day, but let's not knock some good grocery shopping. You know? right. <laughs> like that's very, very too. good point. Yeah, you're, you've made some very legitimate points here about meal prepping. And, you know, um, you know, I used to not be I used to kind of like look at these like meal prepping gym women or whatever. And <laughs> meal prepping is not just for people that go to the gym. Meal prepping, no, we yeah. do this. Also on a Sunday where, like you said, you make a huge batch and you freeze the things in your freezer. Yeah. So then during the during the week, like on a Tuesday, Wednesday, you come home and you're like, 
amazing all i have to do is like maybe boil some fresh pasta and then just add the yes. sauce that's already pre-made right yes or- and i pack my own lunch too and lunch boxes so at 6 30 in the morning i cannot start from scratch like it's it's just not a good way to live and and i think that people get nervous or scared or intimidated when it comes to meal prepping because social media shows us like all these ridiculously over the top meal preps. And it doesn't have to be like that, you know, mm-hmm. make some meatballs, put them in the freezer. You know, mm-hmm. when you make a lasagna, make two, stick one in the freezer. So it's, it, it doesn't have to be so complicated. Yes. Very, very good point. And especially if you have the right ingredients in your house, fresh ingredients that you like to kind of throw into food. Like for instance, I go to Costco and get the, the yellowtail, uh, sorry, the yellow fin. I'm already thinking about wine. Yellow, uh, the yellow <laughs> yeah. fin. Tuna. I caught you. <laughs> um, and I like to have on hand always, always in my cupboard. You will find black sesame seeds because it's something that I like to crust my tuna in quickly. Just mm. defrost, whip, whap, and then throw it on a salad, and you're done, right? Or right. having avocados in your house all the mm. time, or fresh limes, or fresh mm. lemons that you can just. Um, add that in or fresh cilantro or herbs that you can just really add into anything for that flavor. Because a lot of the time I find when we are craving something, we're, we're looking really for flavor. We're looking for something that's going to like really yes. please our taste buds. And when we're craving things and you're, you're looking through like the DoorDash or whatever, you're like, what's going to taste really good right now? Wow. Um, so it's right. so important to have just those really easy ingredients. If you have access to them, that's another huge piece to this is that not everybody has access to fresh fruits and vegetables yeah, at a reasonable price. And um, so that's just kind of a little piece I'm going to throw in there. But Although I will say, I will say frozen vegetables, there is no shame in frozen vegetables. I, we eat a lot of frozen vegetables in this house, um, because they're easy, right? They mm-hmm. keep really well and they're just as nutritious, sometimes even more nutritious than, um, fresh foods because they are flash frozen. Now yes. the same does not go for like canned foods, but my thing is this, like people always ask me like, you know, does it count? Yes, it counts. You know, yeah. is it is it the same? No. But any form that you get your fruits and vegetables in is totally fine. You know, no shame in my in my freezer game, I say. No, for sure. That's a very, very good yeah. point. So so thank you for that. So we're just going to move right along to what are some of your thoughts on intermittent fasting and how long should one fast? And we're talking about uh, spinal cord injury or not. What are your thoughts yeah. on intermittent fasting? Yeah. So I don't support intermittent fasting. I, um, I find that it's problematic in a lot of ways. Um, if we're hungry and we're not eating our blood sugar and our blood pressure are going to tank. And if we ignore our hunger, that's not really mentally healthy, right? It's not psychologically a a good place to be. Um, hunger is a survival mechanism and all these people who are losing weight from intermittent fasting, it's because they are essentially, not to be dramatic, starving themselves, you know, on purpose for most of the day. And, you know, I know that there are people who swear by it and that's their prerogative. But as a nutrition professional, I can never tell somebody to go 16, 18, 20 hours without eating. Like, it's dangerous. And, um, you know, for spinal cord injury, like, I can't help but think of like the worst case scenario. Like, what if your blood sugar falls and you totally. fall out of your chair and break a bone? Like, totally. great. 
Like, I can't deal with that. No. You know what? That's a very, very good point because I know that's something that we had to work with. I think we, both of our partners have to. Is we always have a snack in our bag be- because we do have those moments, right? Especially if your partner yes. is doing things like the standing frame, um, you know, the blood sugar is dropping. The, you want to make the sure pressure that you, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, you want to make sure the blood pressure is uh, is good. Sometimes they need like a little juice box or they need, um, a, you know, like a granola yeah. bar or something. So that's a very good point. And I like how you talked about listening to your body. And, you know, I, I would say myself, I'm more of an intuitive eater. Like I know when yes. I need certain things and I know when I'm hungry and I've paid a lot of attention to my body. And for instance, this morning, Elena, we always um, start the day off with our favorite coffee Croissant. shop prepping mm. and that so is self-care too yeah croissant. well yeah and well sometimes and sometimes. so <laughs> this morning we went to our favorite coffee shop and we we're gonna order you know the same we usually get like a little donut or like a little croissant or some some sort of loaf breakfast at, donut yeah like because there's a really really great bakery that we usually go to and it's like organic and like we you know if we feel good about that but this morning I was like uh I can't today I ate a cauliflower pizza last night at 9 p.m and I'm still stuffed full so it's like listening oh, yeah. to your body is not necessarily fasting it's more like just like okay I'm I'm still full <laughs> I'm gonna wait yeah I mean you hungry. hungry exactly exactly right yeah. So there's a lot of um, this kind of ties into our next question. The the hot fad diet nowadays is keto. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and that, you know, that diet promotes intermittent fasting. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. My husband and I, we tried it for three months um, when, you know, the Laird Hamiltons were starting to do it. The Tim Ferrisses were promoting it on their podcast. We were like, well, let's give it a try. This was a few years ago before anybody was really doing it. And so we did it for three months and it was just, it didn't help us, either of us to lose any weight. Um, Mm. It didn't help with his bowel routine at all. In fact, it made it way worse. I can imagine that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And for us, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, it didn't really do anything. And the restriction in itself was just, I I don't like to be restricted. I like food too much. And I know Elena feels the same way. It's like variety is important. And yes, you know, I I don't know. What are your thoughts on keto and specifically keto for those who have spinal cord injuries? Okay. So again, it's a no for me on this one. (laughs) That'll be a no Um, for me. I do not. Yeah. I do not (laughs) recommend any restrictive diets and keto in particular is really problematic. So your body and your brain needs carbs to function properly. I feel like I'm going to get so much hate mail for this. It's fine. This um, is your podcast, girl. (laughs) But I support a carb conscious lifestyle. Okay. So I don't tell my clients to restrict carbs. However, I do a lot of nutrition education because I feel like once we know better, hopefully we'll do better. So I talk about better choices, right? I think that keto being high protein, high fat, I mean, the elephant in the room really is that it carries a big renal load and that's Mm -hmm. dangerous for people with SCI, you know, um, we, we already have like a higher risk of, of renal issues with SCI. So why would we, you know, tax our bodies in that way? And it's also, it's not sustainable, right? You can go keto for a while and then you're probably going to miss eating normal, healthy foods. And going back to what I was saying about weight cycling, if you lost weight doing keto, which I know you did not, but some people do, and then you get off of it, now you're going to gain it back. It's going to make you feel badly. And it's going to be more tax on your body because you're weight cycling. So, I mean, food shouldn't make us feel bad, right? Getting on and off a diet is is usually feels like failure. So 
I think that keto is a trend the same as any of the other of like the thousand diets that have come and gone in the past 10 years. And, um, you know, if it works for you again, your prerogative, but as a professional, no, I can't, I can't say keto is a good idea for SCI. And I actually read something the other day that I posted about, um, it's not an issue for us, but a lot of people with SCI end up with C diff. And, um, there was a, a study that said that C. diff really thrives on a high protein, high fat diet. And I just was like, ugh, keto is a disaster for SCI. So that's my two cents. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. So for the listeners who don't know what renal issues are, can you explain that to us, please? Okay, so renal is anything having to do with your kidneys. So I think that um, when you're on a lot of medications, when you are using uh, different cathing methods and stuff, when you have a lot of UTI, this all um, with spinal cord injury gives you a higher risk for renal disease. And um, I don't have like stats or anything, but I do know that is something that is always um a, uh, you know, a concern, especially like years and years, maybe decades and decades after injury, um, renal issues do pop up, you know, um, my husband had a, had a, uh, what do you call it? A lab, uh, result the other day. And, you know, his renal load is, it's okay, but you know, the, the creatinine and the certain labs, like they're not really where they should be. And, um, and he's only 42. So the last thing that I would do is say, Hey, you should go on a high protein, high fat diet, you know, and, uh, and cut your carbs. Well, I mean, I know a lot of people on keto diets. I know a lot of people on Instagram that I'm friends with from California that are on keto diets. And, you know, if you don't eat for a good portion of the day and you eat zero carbs, you're, you're going to lose some weight. That's just the nature of it right, of because course. you're also lowering your calories. Right. So right. it's like, yeah, because your window of eating yeah. is so short. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of things that I notice also is like people that are doing keto improperly as well and saying that they're keto like it's created like a beast mm -hmm. it's created yes, like monsters like seriously because yeah. people are like oh bacon eggs for breakfast or like that's steak. a great idea <laughs> yeah steak for dinner and this not oh I can eat everything I can eat pork rinds coming out of my yin yangs and doing mm -hmm. this and it's so yeah. unbalanced that's not yeah. real keto the, re the, the real yeah. keto that was invented is you can barely eat any leafy greens or else you will go over your your keto load for the day your ketone load for the day right so, and that's a good point right. you have to do the whole pee strip thing right to make sure you have your and blood tests right and, yeah and like you yeah said, see i just feel like that's so unnatural right you know like really i don't feel like human beings are meant to to eat like that like we are not robots different days we have different um needs and i feel like certain days I do crave protein mm -hmm. and certain days I, I don't feel like as much. And, and I think that when we learn to eat, um, you know, ha mostly healthy foods, like there's not a lot of risk with that, <laughs> but when you are on these restrictive diets, there is a risk for that. And I just feel like it adds a lot of complication to an already complicated, uh, situation, which is SCI, right? Right. And I think that, you know, this is a different podcast, but that can also feed into control issues of when you're so intensely controlling, controlling everything yeah. you're putting in your body that you become almost anxious about everything that you do. That can also present so, so many issues and is so, so dangerous for for a lot of the population. You know, I myself included, I used to have some eating, um, I wouldn't call it disorder, but I was very, you know, it was the only 
only time that I could find control in my life was really mm-hmm. right. eating. And um, anybody who knows me is listening to this podcast probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. But it's taken a lot of mindful work to get into a better place mentally. And I think mm-hmm. that that's one of the things that these diets, these fad diets can create in us. Like Brooke was saying, they're creating these monsters within us that... You know, I always say, whatever you do, you're going to have to undo, which takes a lot more work in the end. Well, and you know, like those memes out there and, you know, everyone knows some friends that all they do is all they can do is talk about their diet, you know, whether it's paleo or keto, they're just, they become obsessed with it and it's it's so unbalanced and it's just, it creates more stress in the body that they're not even realizing because, oh, you know, they may need structure in their life, but. And then that diet is the structure. But at the end of the day, that's control. And I feel like it is. It is. And I see a lot of I see a lot of um, disordered eating Mm -hmm. in um, in my private practice. And I just I can't, you know, on one hand, be, be helping people with eating disorders. And on the other hand, telling people it's a good idea to practice some of those disordered behaviors, you know, which is really what these diets are. Mm hmm. Great point. Right. So moving right on to our last diet question here. (laughs) It's not quite over. It's over. So our next question here is, is a vegetarian diet right for somebody with an SCI? Okay. So that's a great question. So yes, it can be. It can be right. So vegetarian diets are great if you are morally or religiously or anything opposed to eating meat. Um, I am not. (laughs) And I don't recommend vegetarian diets because I do find that eliminating certain food groups that most people like isn't, you know, automatically healthy. But if you want to follow a vegetarian diet living with SEI, yes, you can. You can be healthy, but it's going to take a lot of planning. So my big concern with any vegetarian is B12. Um, B12 is found mostly in red meat, also poultry, fish, eggs, um, and dairy. And you would need a supplement. So if you're not going to eat any of those foods, you need a B12 supplement. They do have some um, like fortified cereals and breads. You could do that. Um, But another concern would be iron. So you can only get non-heme iron from plant sources. And it's not as uh, bioavailable. It doesn't absorb as well as iron from meat. So vegetarian diets in general can be really healthy, but they, they require more planning, right? And oftentimes a lot more cooking. So, um, the other thing is that they can be very high in carbs too, which is, right. which is fine for some, but if you're trying to manage easy, your weight, right. <laughs> when you're yeah, on a vegetarian I mean, diet, it's easy to just like, grab a carb, right. right? Yes. Like I have had a lot of, I work in a college part-time and a lot of the students want to go vegetarian or vegan. And then I tell them to do a food diary and it's like, they're eating piles of French fries every day. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but it's vegetarian. And I'm like, all right, sit down, let's talk. (laughs) So if you're trying to manage your weight and you want to be a vegetarian, it's totally possible. I think you may need help um, planning everything out and figuring out some better choices. And most importantly, making sure that you're not missing out on essential nutrients. So yes, you can do it, but maybe get some help and, and just make sure that you're doing it right. Definitely read your food labels and eat a, eat a, um, you know, a varied diet. That's great advice. And think about how important uh, B12 is to the nervous system. So like when you have an SCI, it's your central nervous system is so impacted already that you can't not have that vitamin. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, exactly. So, so yes, you can do it, but I feel like with SCI, you don't want to 
I guess, create more problems. So anytime that you take away a food group, especially one that you like, you know, I don't think you're really doing yourself much of a favor. Yeah, good advice. And uh, going back to that B12 um, supplement, you know, here's another thing. You have to be very, very careful what you're putting your body in terms of is, is that B12 supplement itself you have to have that checked out. You can't just go and grab something off the shelf and just start, you know, shoveling it into your mouth. You have to have the right dosage. You have to have the right supplement. So people who, you know, they're, that this is also a fad saying, I'm going to be taking all these supplements. Make sure that yeah. you do talk to your physician and make sure that you don't have any medical mm-hmm. medication interactions yes. with that as well. Yeah, there can be interactions with these things. And um, that's why, so when I do one-on-one counseling, like I need to know what meds you're on because, you know, What if you're on a blood thinner, you know, then you can't really eat a a ton of, you know, leafy greens. I mean, it's not that you can't have them. It's that it's a little more complicated. You need to keep your intake of those greens um, more consistent. So there's a lot of nuance, you know, and I and that's that's really why I feel like it's important for this high risk group, you know, this our SCI community to have a resource for nutrition and these and these topics, because I feel like little things can really make a big difference. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So moving on to our next question, question time. Are there ways to minimize inflammation in people with spinal cord injury? Uh, Yes, absolutely. So I focus on a lot of anti-inflammatory foods uh, with SCI clients and and able-bodied. You know, I feel like anti-inflammatory foods are all healthy foods and um, they have a lot of good nutrition in them. So what does that really mean? So that means a lot of fresh stuff, emphasis on colorful berries, fatty fish like salmon, Mm even if you like, you know, sardines and, and um, anchovies as well, those are much more um, budget friendly than, than salmon. Uh, avocados, broccoli, uh, colorful peppers, mushrooms. Mushrooms are great for SEI. Um, olive oil. And I usually recommend incorporating um, a curcumin supplement. So that's the active component in turmeric. So most people don't use a ton of turmeric, if any, uh, in their cooking. So I do in that case say go for the supplement because you'd have to use kind of a lot of turmeric to, to have an effect. Um, and then, so those are the, those are the foods that I recommend adding in, in terms of what to avoid. I don't like to take foods away completely, but if we're talking about anti-inflammatory, we want to limit or avoid things like artificial sweeteners, fried foods, trans fat, which still does exist in the American food supply. I don't know about other countries, um, vegetable oils, excess, um, you know, too much alcohol and then processed meats like, uh, bacon, jerky, certain, um, smoked meats, things like that. Interesting. Yeah. Cause the inflammation thing is so huge in our community because inflammation yeah. causes pain. Inflammation causes joint yes. pain, nerve pain. Yes. Um, headaches, everything like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a huge thing. And we get that question a lot. So hopefully, yes. And I, and I actually worked in a doctor's office before starting my private practice and it was a pain management office. It was actually, um, what do you call it? It was a, uh, anesthesiologist and it was really cool. We had a nutrition program because he said that pain, you know, chronic pain, he's doing meds, he's doing, um, different like stimulation and stuff. And this was not for spinal cord injury, but it was just all different, uh, types of people who had chronic pain. And so I have a lot of experience with anti-inflammatory diets and 
this is one thing that has a lot of good research behind it. I struggle a lot to find, um, you know, nutrition and SCI studies because unfortunately there's not that many, but for the anti-inflammatory diet, there is a lot of good research. Hmm. Awesome. That's great. Um, so I guess our last question is we're going to bring it back to the caregivers and the wags of SCI. Um, so there's a lot of questions on if you don't have time to prep, if you don't have time to cook, let's just say you're working full time and a caregiver or you have children or you, you just you can't make it work for cooking. What is your advice for getting the most nutrition benefits and health benefits from takeout? What should you order? What should you not order? Are there any foods that okay. you'd recommend for takeout? Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of a tough one. Um, because I think that when you eat out, you don't usually know, you know, what you're getting, you don't know what kind of oils they use and, um, you don't know the quality of the meat and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and on top of that, I think most places, the portion sizes, at least here in the U S they're really large. So, yeah. So, Yeah. So most places, um, don't post nutrition information, but you can ask them, um, that would be more for like chain restaurants and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, I think that if you can look at the menu before you go, um, so that you can have, I guess, some time to look at everything that they have. Um, I would say, you're, of course, you know, you're better off meal prep, meal prepping, you'll save a lot of money and you'll always eat better when you cook at home. Um, and, and I mean, I guess I, I like to go to restaurants for fun, not for nourishment. Mm-hmm. And when we go out, it's an occasion, right? So we splurge. We don't, we're not, you know, I'm not restricting anything. I'm, I'm going to have what I want. But if you're, if you're in a bind, if you're stuck, the only way that you can know what's going on in terms of the food is to ask, to look at, you know, what are the offerings? Like maybe instead of getting a huge entree, you would go for like a salad and then one of the like appetizers, like a hot appetizer with like a salad. Or I, I do that a lot because I like to try a couple of things. So like instead of an entree, I'll get two appetizers. Sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll go for, um, like, uh, tacos or something. So going for like the taco salad, as opposed to, you know, the big burrito. And I think the other thing too, is to realize that you could take it home. You know, you don't have to eat the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You could say, I'd like, you know, I, I can't think of an example, but like something where it would just be really large. You could even say like, can you just pack half of this away? Yeah, you know, exactly. um, as opposed to having it all on your plate, because I think that when we're in a bind, when we're stuck, and we're hungry, we're out and we're, we need to get food. I don't really think that we usually make good choices. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And, and maybe some people are able to, but I feel like, for example, for fast food, I don't really eat a lot of fast food. I had some, some eating, let's just say issues, you know, you, you can't go to school for nutrition and not come out with some kind of interesting thoughts on, yeah. on food. And, and so, um, so part of, so, so what I was saying was like with fast food, I did not allow myself to eat it at all. And it it was because of, you know, health reasons, right? It's not healthy. But I notice that anytime I think about getting it, it's when I'm starving, right? Mm -hmm. And when I need, my body is literally screaming for calories. I need something to eat. So I'm not going to get a healthy salad or like a half a sandwich in a soup. Like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm more likely to go for something that's going to, 
satisfy me in terms of like what my body needs um, in that kind of crisis moment. Because I do sometimes let myself get to the point where I'm like ravenous Mm -hmm. and it's always a bad choice, right? So what I have worked on, this is part of like my intuitive eating journey, is when I'm really in the mood I have allowed myself to eat fast food every once in a while, you know, as opposed to relying on it for, you know, emergency situations where you're just hangry and you need something. So, and I think the same goes with restaurants, right? I don't rely on them for providing me with nutrition. It's more of a treat. It's more of a fun thing. So, so that I don't have to really worry about what I'm having there. So, but if you, I feel like if you have time to go out to eat, you probably could whip something up at home. And I, and I know that's probably not what people want to hear. <laughs> or you can <laughs> even just... like stop at the Whole Foods or some healthy grocery store in yes. the area and pick up the packaged salad for four or whatever. It's like cheap and it's like, you know, pretty much prepped for you. Right. I think that if you have places like that around you, I think that's great. Um, here, we don't really have a super healthy, I mean, I guess we do, but it's so expensive. Like I just can't spend, you know, $16 on a, on a beautiful salad when I could make that at home for like a quarter of the price, you know, well, that's good that you well, said that. Good. Cause that's another reason to prep your, your food. Yes. Right? yes <laughs> the amount yes. of time it would take to I go did. to the grocery store, you could just literally do it. Yes. And, and, and everything takes work, right? I mean, yeah. I think that if we go to the drive through, it takes us 10 minutes. And okay. if we were to take 10 minutes to make, I mean, I'm talking about like a turkey sandwich and some sliced veggies and, you know, call it a day. It doesn't have to be like this beautiful gourmet meal every time, you know? Yeah, you're so right. Elena and I also like to do like sushi takeout when we do do like we're like addicted mm-hmm. to sushi. It's sometimes. so good. <laughs> Sashimi, miso soup. It's all like yes. pretty reasonably healthy for you. So it's not like you're yes. too off track, right? Yes. Omega threes. Yes. Right. For sure. Fish. Yes. Well, it has been an educational day here on this episode of the Wangs of SA podcast. We just want to say thank you so much for Tima for taking the time to come. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, this is going to be an amazing resource for our community. That's because there's just nothing. Nobody talks about this kind of stuff. So we're super, super thankful for you coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And I'm very, very grateful for WAGS because really before I found you guys, I was, I was lost. (laughs) I really was. I didn't, I, I never even knew, you know, other families like ours existed. You know, when we, when we go out, I feel like we get a lot of, Uh, You know, so we get certain looks and they're usually nice looks, but it's Mm -hmm. nice to see other families, other couples, you know, out in the world just kind of doing their thing. That's so good. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that. So I know that this podcast is going to generate quite a few more questions for Fatima and you can contact her um, through social media, through Instagram at the SCI nutritionist. And we would love to hear more questions. If you guys have any more, please fire them in to wags uh, of sci at gmail.com or contact fatima directly at the sci nutritionist she is a resource on our page now so please feel free to send any more questions you have for her that way so thank you so much for being on today fatima and we hope everybody has a beautiful day cheers the advocacy and outreach group wags of sci is currently a volunteer-based operation We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our WAGs, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. 
If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website, wagsofsci.com or donate directly to the Wags of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.